Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Oatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who wants the real coffee. <laughs> Only the real coffee. Well, I certainly don't want the uh I don't want the soy coffee. That's too... I wonder what the not real coffee was. There's like some things that sort of taste pseudo coffee as that they like people right. will substitute coffee when they can't get coffee. But I'm just I got very curious about what the not real coffee was. Isn't like isn't like hominy or something? It wasn't that one of the ones you can like grind up. It's like that is this coffee. Can adjacent. you grind up hominy into something coffee adjacent? I did I not think, know. That. I think I heard that once. I've never done it, nor do I know if that's real. I just feel like that's a thing I heard. Uh, I am googling hominy coffee to find out if that's a, that's a thing. It does not. It does not appear to be a thing. I don't know why. I, I maybe like. Maybe it was one of those, like, somebody cooked up something absolutely fucking nuts on Top Chef, and, like, my brain, like, integrated it as, like, yeah, this is a thing you can do. Like, if you ground up hominy and tried to run, if you grind up hominy, you just have grits. That's true. You can't, you can't, you can't filter water through grits. I don't know. I I have a question, though. Adam, have you ever seen what coffee, like, coffee's kind of grits once you're done. Okay. Okay, that's uh, oh chicory. That's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking of chicory. chicory. Not there you go. That's okay. my, that's what I was thinking of. <laughs> that, that definitely makes more sense. Like, I knew it was a. Uh, I knew it ended in a, an e. I yeah. was like, only a bajillion light years off. It's fine. This really is just. This is how Midwestern Pat is. He born in Indiana, grew up in Ohio. Everything's got to be a corn derivative. Before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon, patreon.com slash lostincriterion. If you want to get in on that and help keep us going, support us, keep our bills paid, you know, we'll do this either way, but it is nice to have uh, have a little help from, from your friends. Yeah, for just a dollar a month, you get access to bonus episodes. You get to vote on what those bonus episodes are. They're always a non-criterion film. I put together a selection of four films, usually themed, and then a fifth option that is always uh, Kazam, the children's movie starring Shaquille O'Neal as a genie. Uh, we watched some really interesting movies over there, uh, some really great, fun episodes with our friend Stephen Goldmeyer doing uh, one of his favorite movies, Now You See Me. That was a really fun episode. Uh, we've got one with our uh, our dear friend Donovan Hill doing Aliens, where uh, he talks for an hour about how bad it's the latest movie in that franchise is, hit. only to reveal that he's never seen it. And it was very, it was very good. It was one of my favorite. I think we talked to him recently happened. about it. I don't think we recorded it, but he still has never seen it. I believe he's still, what he oh, told us. Certainly, he's never seen it. I just uh, find that really was, fascinating. Like, uh, like it, I'm glad he's never seen it. It makes me happy. I was reminded this week of an opportunity we had that unfortunately didn't. It couldn't have happened organically anymore. So that's why I put the kibitz on it. But we did an episode over there where we were ta- talking about uh, the list was movies that share titles with mm-hmm. Criterion Films. So we ended up watching uh, Kicking and Screaming, the soccer movie starring Will Ferrell, which is one of the worst nightmare. movies we've ever watched. Donovan was supposed to be on that episode. 
oh, but right. accidentally yeah. Yeah. watched accidentally watched Noah Baumbach's kicking and screaming. Um, and they so. were like, we got this. And the best part is, is we got pretty like we didn't get into the actual podcast, but we no, did get no. into the the pre like the the pregame like chit chat. Right. We'd been we've been talking for like a half hour before it, before it really sunk in that he had watched the wrong like, movie. Like yeah, like oh, uh, you didn't watch the same movie we did. And I just I wish it had happened while we were recording. Yeah, but since it didn't, I couldn't. I didn't. Uh, we're about realism here. I don't want to fake that. So yeah, no, we we are authentic. Yeah, hundred percent authentic. We're authenticity. Uh, anyway, um, but yeah, Patreon.com/slash Lost in Criterion. Like I said, just a dollar a month gets you access to the bonus episodes, gets you all the back catalog bonus episodes, gets you the vote in future bonus episodes. Uh, so it's a, a pretty good deal for a dollar, I think. Yeah. Um, yeah. If you, get, you, you suggest get a, you get a lot of uh, if, a lot of podcasts for your money. Yeah. If you suggest your list a list, uh we might invite you to be on that episode. Uh, I mean, we more probably than likely will invite you. you. Yeah. Yeah. If the timing works out, we'll get it done. And uh yeah, so we've had a lot of fun with uh with supporters uh joining us for bonus episodes over there. So it's been yeah, just been a lot of fun over there. Uh we do have a couple other tiers a little above the one dollar, five dollars a month for people who just want to give us a little extra money. Um, we only have one person at the $5 a month right now, but we like to thank those people on air, and it is the aforementioned Stephen Goldmeyer, our dear friend, uh, who's decided to give us $5 a month because he's... He likes I us. I don't know. He likes us. He likes what we do, and I like him, and I like what he does. So Absolutely. Even beyond the fact that he gives me $5 a month, I like what he does. Right. In fact, that's how... <laughs> I, mean, like, I mean, that's only really muddying the waters, if anything. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Low tier on the things that Stephen does that I like. Uh, a little above that, uh, one of the reasons we only have one $5 supporter is that at $10 and above, we do something that I think is pretty special. Uh, Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently, and I get that printed up on a postcard, write a little personalized thank you note, and mail that off to our $10 and above supporters. We also like to thank those people on air, so thank you so much to Chris Otto, to Jason Westaver, Michael McGrath, Patrick Yako, and Adam Speakerman. Yes, thank you. Uh, if you want to see those postcards, head over to redbubble.com and search for Lost in Criteria, and you can see a back catalog. I put them up on a bit of a delay so that our supporters can enjoy them first, but you can buy all the old ones or just see all the old ones at redbubble.com. And like I said, just search for Lost in Criterion there. But if you want to uh, get them early or support us in any other way, head over to patreon.com slash Lost in Criterion. So this week we are talking about a Roberto Rossellini film. Um, we most recently watched a Rossellini film with the taking of power of Louis XIV. Um, I, I keep forgetting that that was him. Yeah, I because don't, it, doesn't, it just doesn't fit into yeah. my mind at all as a Rossellini film. I, I can't well, that's... You know, this is this is one of the first films of Rossellini that really moved away from neorealism, um, right? In that it's using sets, it's using professional actors, um, but moving forward through through the '60s, particularly, uh, he moves into doing television work that is less and less neorealist, but more and more. Rossellini's an interesting guy because he 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 viewed himself as sort of just a a workhorse. Like right. he 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 didn't like thinking of himself as an auteur. 
uh, he just, you know, he did what he did. Uh, he was right. self-effacing, um, considered himself a crafts, craftsman. And he was really interestingly, he was interested. It is interesting as well. But he was interested in, uh, f- like, film tech and mm-hmm. and kind of in the business side of things, but but in in always being innovative. Um, uh, the essay that accompanies this brings it up, but it would be really interesting to see what Rossellini would do in a modern CG era. Uh, yeah, yeah, it would be because because <clears throat> he's he's you know he's always pushing forward, and that's what neorealism was at the time. But then this is. Here's an interesting fact about this movie from what I've read. It's the first movie in Italy to use a Zoom. Uh, I, I, yeah, I, I he mentioned like one of the one of the film essay type people videos yeah. was like, "Oh, and he even used a Zoom lens." And I'm like, "Oh, okay. Why is that important? <laughs> uh, it's important because sure. no one had done it." Which is wild. Like I can't Yeah. Like zoom lenses are not new. Like I'm right. very confused. Like, zo- I mean, I guess I don't know, man. Were zoom lenses new on film cameras? Because they certainly have existed on uh, still right. cameras I don't know. forever. I don't know, uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, he puts it to good use in this film. Um, it's uh, you know. We're used to Rossellini prior to this with what we've seen um, and maybe what you might be familiar with and what he's famous for is the neorealism that he's filming in the remnants of bombed out Italy, right. bombed out Germany sometimes, uh, depending on the film. Right. And then he married Ingrid Bergman and they made films together. And there's, you know, there's this sort of conflict. We'll eventually watch all these movies, too. Uh, but there's this sort of conflict between his neorealist style and the fact that his movies are starring arguably the most beautiful actress of her day. Right. <laughs> right. Um, most beautiful uh, Hollywood actress of her day, even. Uh, but then he gets into this, and it's it's 1959. It's late enough that he can't, you know, he's making a movie that takes place during World War II, but it's late enough that, everything's already been rebuilt, right? Right. He can't he can't film on location anymore and have the atmosphere that he wants. So it's got to be on a soundstage. It's got to be rebuilt. So it's not it's not realist in the way that his neorealist films were. Uh and then moving forward with the television work, you know, there's there's something about his aesthetic style of the way he films things that that neorealism still maintains. And we talked about extensively with uh, with the taking of power of uh, how you know he's still utilizing non actors in that movie. Right. How, how the guy who plays Louis is a non actor uh, to an interesting end. Right. Uh, yeah. You can listen to that episode. Uh, but yeah, so this is this is uh, maybe a weird place in his career. Um, it's not a movie he didn't super love this movie because he thought it was essentially saying the same things he'd already said in his World War Two stuff. Right. Um, which is interesting because everybody seems to disagree. 
with that right. sentiment. And it's always fascinating when, like, basically the whole world tells a creator, um, actually, we think you're wrong. Yeah. Well, there's also there's also a, an aspect of this where he got back from uh, he got back from uh, 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 India. He had filmed filmed something in India, and he got back and he essentially <laughs> you know fell back in with uh, Desica, and he and Desica decided to make a movie that would win the Golden Lion, right? And then did it in three weeks. Um, <laughs> And succeeded. Well, right. So, I, yeah. I mean, like, I get that. And that's and it's a very cool story. But that also reeks of like some Nostradamus type shit where like if oh, yeah, he had failed, yeah. no one would ever right. know. No one would talk about it. Like, so it's, you know, right. So, it is very cool. So don't get me wrong. It's just like, I don't feel like they overtly like, I mean, like based on how controversial a lot of the ideas in this film are for their day, yeah. it's not like they did like. It's not like they pulled a modern Hollywood. They're like, this is a surefire Oscar win. We 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 assembled right, right, we, we right, AI right. assembled the perfect movie to win an Oscar. This right. is there's not this is still very organic in the sense that like this story could also have just been a fucking bomb. Like right. quite right, easily. Right, right. In fact, still got them yeah. death threats or whatever, right? So like Right. Which right. is not necessarily the um, same thing as being a a bad movie, right? Obviously, but like, you know. Nonetheless, yeah, this is based on a true-ish story. Uh, it's written by a guy named uh, uh, Indro Montanelli. Uh, Montanelli claims to have known the real, uh, the real man. This is kind of based off of, <laughs> right? So what what really seems to have happened, in as much as anyone can figure is that there was a guy in a uh, war prison uh, who claimed to be this general, De La Rivera. Uh, and then he was murdered, uh, executed with 66 other people. And then post-war, they exhumed the bodies and found out that he was not a De Rivera, who, or De La Rivera, who are a prominent family going back thousands of years. Right. <laughs> um, or 8,000 years at least. Um, and was just uh, just some guy uh, <clears throat> named uh, Bertoni, I think. Um, yeah, with a T. They switch it to a yeah, D. Yeah, I mean, it, it got movie, altered like but... three times depending on like right. which version right. of the story it was. Right. The novel says Bertoni with an I, and then it's Bertoni with an E and a T in the movie, something like that. Anyway. And then it's, bar- yeah, it's like um, Bardone in the, in the yeah, this yeah. movie. Yeah. So, uh, so the journalist claims to have talked to the general while he was in prison. Um, and then uh, he went on and wrote this book about the guy. Hmm. Now, the... It's interesting, given given sort of the point of this movie, it's it's definitely about someone becoming politically conscious, right? But also, it sort of humanizes the the Nazi official, particularly the the commandant of the prison, right? Who, you know, doesn't want to. He only reluctantly murdered. He still ends up ordering murders, but but he only reluctantly does so when high command tells him he has to. Right? 
he doesn't want to do these repercussion murders. Um, he wants the he wants to just let it go that partisans killed a uh, an Italian fascist guy in their town. Um, yeah, even though he's also blackmailing our main character in <laughs> in order to under un, uncover the uh, the resistance, right? So, you know, he he's humanized. He's not humanized, and we'll we'll eventually watch uh, Ber- Berlin Year Zero is one that comes up in some of the background material, some of the bonus material with this, where, you know, he really, Rossellini really humanizes the people of Berlin during the war. Right, which, right. which you know, my issue with that is that, like, that's a different thing than humanizing, right. like, Nazi high command, basically. Like, right, right, right. Like, right. I, right. I know that, like, you know, on a, on a fundamental level, you can understand that they are human. Like, that is, of course, that is a given. Uh, and, and it is important to, keep that in mind when you think about them but like like their qual- their moral quandaries with whether or not to order murders is like i don't know it's right. it, it, like what are right. we doing here like right now like you know what i mean it's like yeah i don't so, care if they face a moral quandary they made the wrong choice right <laughs> so all of that is also balanced against the generalities of italy during the war in that, you know, as soon as the Allies hit mainland Italy, the entire Italian apparatus was like, turned on the fascist. Yeah. Whose side are right? we on now? Yeah. Well. Yeah. Um, uh, and then, you know, everybody became, as this movie portrays, you know, a lot of former, former Italian army people uh, became the resistance overnight, basically. Right. Right. Um, and just refused to fight for the Nazis, refused conscription, uh, ended up being forcibly conscripted and sent to Germany or to the Eastern Front. Um, and the, you know, the fascist power apparatus still existed mostly. Um, when was Mussolini actually killed? It was I don't before know. the end of the war, I know that. Yeah, but I, but I don't know what year it was. Um, it, might, it very well might have been before. Oh, it maybe... Was. Maybe it wasn't before. It was uh, 1845, or 1845. Yeah, he died in 1845. Mussolini invented time travel back in time and died during the first Italian revolution. No, he died in 1945. Okay, well, yeah. July. Uh, Though he was out of office, no. He was was prime minister until 43, and then he was il duce uh, from 43 until April 45 when he was killed. Um, right. I mean, he has one of those one one of the more beautiful kinds of Wikipedia pages for for monsters, which is left office and date of death are the same day. Right. Uh, right. Which is always a. Well, uh, yeah. Well, I um, mean, if you're a monster, you know you're a monster, right? So, well, yeah. actually, no. Sorry, it's three days later. So somebody somebody waited. Yes. Nonetheless. Um anyway, so he did die just before the end of the war, right? Um Yeah. I mean, but again, I I I don't know enough about World War II history, especially as it pertains to like the Italian front to know how that lines up with this movie. Like the movie doesn't get into dates enough for me to like know this is this can't be that far away from the end of the war though, either. No. No, it's not. This takes place in like forty three, forty four. Uh there's a news report about Anzio during this, 
which is uh, dates it pretty right. Which we which we all remember um, from whatever whatever <laughs> that whatever that battlefield game was that I played in high school because <laughs> that was one of the maps or whatever. Yeah. Um, anyway, uh, so you know, Italy's. There's there's some background material of this that sort of describes Italians as apolitical, um, right? Yeah, but you know a lot of I don't want to Italian unification. A lot of the time is about uh, just maintaining life, right? <laughs> and right. It's, it's yeah, support whatever is going to keep keep you living um so you know it doesn't make it it's not beyond them very much to uh right because the, that, that, the fascists are in charge and then support i mean that's kind of true for like a lot of like for most people yeah. i think right like it's right. like well i mean if if the fascists take over your country the, the flip side of everything we always say is like also you probably don't want them to murder you like you know right 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 like and, of course one of the things that read, led to this movie getting made is that uh what's it uh I think it's John the 16th new pope new pope Wait, came to I power I don't know man like new pope came to power and said hey we should be more open about our own history and talk about that stuff and that's one of one of the things that led to this and a couple other movies that came out the same year uh getting made that took a particular look at uh, at Italian uh, loyalties during during the war. Um, now this uh, it was the Pope who oversaw Vatican II. There was some amount of liberalization, uh, but also you know he's a Pope who says, "Hey, we should talk about what we did during the war," and he is a Pope who who actually during the war was uh, <laughs> was writing a lot of. Uh, uh, fake baptism certificates uh for for Jewish refugees. Right. So, he's a guy who did some good during the war. So, um not that they were universally good, you know, even the Catholic Church during World War II in Italy was not great. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, like you can basically they, say that about the right, church right, at right, any right. at any given time. Right. Like sometimes doing some good work and then sometimes, you know, yeah. also not for sure. Well, it's and and sometimes it's uh it's let some people get caught, deported to camps in order to cover all of these other people who are rescuing. Right. And how do you make those moral decisions too? Right. right? Absolutely. Uh, Anyway. Uh, So, you know, that's sort of nationalistically the Italians as a people, but the Italian individuals also were going through these sorts of, uh, Changes, right? The guy who wrote this book, uh, Indro, Indro Montanelli, was openly fascist, Had was forever a staunch conservative communist, uh, columnist. He was a, a, a journalist, a writer. Um, mm. But he, uh, he had been a Mussolini supporter. He volunteered in the Italo-Ethiopian War. Uh, in 43, he joined the resistance. Uh, they figured out who he was. 
Um, but the, the Nazis, I, I suppose, no. He joined the resistance. The Nazis figured out that he joined the resistance and, and uh, arrested him and his wife. Uh, they sentenced him to death, but they, they got out of the country. It's while he was in prison, presumably there, that he met the general. Mm. Uh, but then after the war, uh, <laughs> in 1977, a, uh, a far-left, uh, violent leftist group in Italy like tried to assassinate him. Uh, he was a long-time, a long-time writer for uh, Silvio Berlusconi's newspaper, uh, Berlusconi was the uh, the newspaper magnate who be, became PM of Italy uh, a few years ago. Um, but he quit that when Berlusconi because he didn't like the guy's political ambitions. Um, and then uh, his Wikipedia is interesting because there's a pretty recent update. Uh, okay, he died in two thousand one, uh, but uh, last year. Uh, Montanelli came under scrutiny for his racist attitudes and actions. While working at the fascist magazine Civilita Fascista, Montanelli wrote many articles expressing racist ideas, declaring the superiority of the white race, and supporting colonialist ideas. Okay. While stationed in Italian Ethiopia during the Ethiopian War, Montanelli had bought, bought a 12-year-old Eritrean girl who he later sold to a general. Protesters defaced a statue erected for him in Milan and demanded that it be removed. I don't know if it was. I uh, hope, but yeah, of course, yeah. probably not. Anyway, so, you know, he's he's a guy who facilitated pretty radically, right? Um, and, you know, uh, Rossellini himself got his start making propaganda films with... With Mussolini's son, you know, and then he sort of, you know, he makes these movies. Uh, no, a lot of his war movies were just like, you know, they were humanizing, but they were, they were humanizing like, uh, like uh, the rules of the game, not the rules of the game, the uh, the very first, uh, first one of his that we saw. Oh, uh, um. Which was the very first movie in the Criterion Collection, wasn't it? Um, was it? Yeah. The very first movie we watched for this project was, was... a Renoir film that I cannot remember the name of. <laughs> but it is. it was a... Oh, it was about guys trying to escape from a uh, World War... The Grand Illusion. Yeah, yeah. I, could, I kept wanting to say, yeah. like, all quiet on the Western Front, and I'm like, this is not yeah. right, Pat. Stop it. No. Anyway, I... Uh, it's the Grand Illusion. Um, and the Grand Illusion was about, you know, how this war is dumb because, you know, it was pre-war even, but but war is dumb because we're all humans, right? And that seems to be Rosalini's pretty major point is, you know, humanize everybody to point out that we shouldn't be fighting because we're all the same. Um, and that's, you know, the point of some of his earlier work. This one gets a little more aggressive, right, as we've already mentioned, you know. <laughs> Uh, uh, Bertone is a bad guy, you know, because he's a con man who's stealing money from from people. Who, you know, he's maybe kind of doing the work that he is promising yeah, it's, to it's, do. And that's kind of an interesting thing about the movie is it's kind of a little hard to tell at times. Yeah. Like you're like, I mean, he's definitely 
also definitely robbing Peter to pay Paul, but like for sure. And he's definitely gambling a lot. So it's people's money right, is right, right, disappearing. Right. But then also like it seems like sometimes he like kind of lucks into accidentally doing what he says he's gonna do or <laughs> right, something. Right. You know. Right. He's you know, he's openly bribing the local uh Nazi official to sort of do what he's promising to do. And you know, during his tri- trial he says, Well what you know, I had to do it, right? They came to me, they asked and and am I gonna say no? Um but there's also maybe an interpretation that that it's all a ploy that he and the Nazi guy are just stealing this money. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's the other the, one, right? Like yeah, absolutely. Right. Yeah, it's and it's well, that's the thing, right? And the, I think it's the movie does benefit from leaving that very unclear because if you tried to like lock that down too hard, you would end up almost working against your point about being right. uh, like. Everybody's just human, like you know what I mean. Like you're, you're what you're trying to, you know, kind of trying to do here is avoid having a very, very clear. It's very strange because it's a movie about Nazis, uh, right. and then you're trying to avoid having a very clear villain, per se. Right. right I mean, right. like the Nazis still obviously the villain, but then like this movie like goes the extra mile trying to humanize a man who is definitely going to order like twenty people murdered, right. Like, uh, you know, that I, you know, that's a whole problem in and of itself. But like beyond that, they don't want to like the movie doesn't want you to hate or really super duper like uh, Bardo and the, the our main character. Yeah. They kind of want you to be not ambivalent. You, they want you to be he wants you to be interested in the story, but like not necessarily like committed. Like, oh, it's a, it's a grave injustice that this person is being killed or this person right. deserves it. They well, kind of want to be in the middle there. It's maybe interesting too that you know his conversion to the resistance in the end isn't out of political allegiance or ideological allegiance. It's because he respects their bravery, right? Right, and I think it's, that's problematic. There, are, there are de- like in general. While I like th- this movie, it has yeah. ideological problems way down to its core. Like it right. really does. Like, I mean, like. I just on multiple levels, right? Because, you know, you as you mentioned, like it is about respecting bravery versus and like respecting the idea that at least they did something quote right. unquote, right? Uh but like you know, it, it isn't about like it's like I don't know, I'm trying to think of like an example. There we definitely encounter examples of this all the time, right? But like this sort of like getting to i guess a better spot but like through all the wrong methods that like don't <laughs> right, make you right, actually right, right, like right. understand how to be better like yeah if he somehow wasn't murdered like if he showed up and then like the allies like came into the place right then and there like he wouldn't necessarily be a better person after the at the end of it right like right the growth he may or may not have made doesn't isn't growth towards being a better person right and it's it's interesting because I think I think that Rossellini, in his life, exhibiting the sort of growth we want, right? Right. Uh, but the 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 guy who wrote the book this is based off of, who I think wrote the screenplay too, um, definitely is that sort of 
uh, facilitating. Maybe maybe he really just respects bravery is is what it is, or or some some idea of manhood is what he respects instead of right having an overt political. But you know, defining your political allegiance uh, to a definition of masculinity is itself a political decision, right? <laughs> right, right. So, you I know, mean, he's, it, it, it he's is a- highlighted in the text in the movie, and I and I read it at the time as being somewhat uh, meant to be uh, satirical, you know, at least satirical, or at least um, a little bit, uh, you know, in its nature being a little bit facetious, but like, we're, like, well, you know, I wish we weren't on different sides because I respect you so much. It's like right, right, the right, craziest right, right. horseshit sentence that could ever be made. Like, like, it's just the wild, like, any, and you know, I feel like, at least in this movie, Rossellini is definitely like, that line is delivered with a certain sort, often delivered with a certain sort of panache on it that tries to tell you that, like, that's a bullshit thing to say. Right, uh, right, and that might be all up to Jessica too. You know, but, true, also, also true, right? Because he's our, delivering those characters. lines, right? Yeah, right. yeah. Um, it's interesting how many people try to imply that this is autobiographical to Jessica, uh, just because the character he's playing is so much right. like him in real yeah. life. Well, and it's like it's like weird stuff that like is irrelevant to the nature of. Like, well, oh, here's they both what, really love gambling, right? Like, I, and there's like you know, which you know, whatever. But like, some of them aren't terrible in the sense that like, somebody I could see to a certain extent somebody making the argument that like for an actor, I don't know what the sicka's life was like during the war. I've never looked into it, but especially if he did actually work for the Nazis, making propaganda films, which a lot of actors did. Right. Um, it would be very easy to imagine this being kind of that way in the sense that, like, well, I did what the Nazis told me when it was time for do what the Nazis told me, and then, you know, you know what I mean? Like, and then I did it once they were out of power, and I did what, you know, was expected of me in the the new society. Right. Like, uh, again, I don't know DeSica's... Okay, complete, complete side thing, okay. but DeSica was... Was a communist through and through. Period. Okay, well then, I, I, but then <laughs> but, like, right. But uh, he briefly had an affair with a Spanish actress uh, named uh, Maria Mercader, uh, whose cousin Ramon is the guy who killed Trotsky. <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. What? Uh, yeah. Um, okay. He actually married. He did marry Mercator after after their affair. Um, but yeah, uh, I mean, he was working during fascist Italy. Right, right, right. Like, right. I mean, he started his first film was in 1940. Right. So, I mean, in that sense, like, I could see him bringing a certain amount of personal. Well, that's his first director. His first oh, director. I look at the wrong thing. Oh, yeah. film, it says filmography. He, he was he was director. acting okay. since. Uh, since Where's the twenties, at least. Oh, why did? Okay, Wikipedia. I hate you. I need you to understand <laughs> that. But the point, well, that still stands because, like, you're right. Like, I I had forgotten that we've we've actually talked about him enough that like that's very obvious. Yeah. But like, it's just I hate Wikipedia sometimes. Um, yes. 
So my point so my point does stand regardless, which is he was definitely working during in fascist Italy. Yeah. Which means as a communist, he probably did thing he probably played parts in movies that he is not was never proud of. You yeah. know what I mean? What he's he certainly what served he's a directing, cause that he's not proud of. What he's directing during the war are usually uh usually comedies. There is uh, right, The Children but, okay, Are Watching, like, which is yes, w- the one we've seen of his war period. Uh, the Children Are Watching, which is basically <laughs> a movie that basically says, don't be a fascist because your kids are <laughs> your kids are looking. Right, right. Um, which I, I, I love as a message, but whatever. Uh, like, I mean, my, yeah. my point was is that even, even if all you're doing is directing comedies, if your country is... Yeah, there's no way he still felt good about that, right? Like, he still right. probably uh, internalized the idea, I'm running cover for fascists. You know what I mean? Like, even if all I'm making is comedies, to a certain extent, I'm facilitating... Yeah. You're providing you're providing the circus portion. Right, exactly. And, and right. so, I mean, this is, this is all speculation, but, like, if he's... You know, if he cares that much, I mean, like, he probably did care, right? And so... I can see how he would bring himself into this role, right? I, not, I, I'm not autobiographical exactly, but at least sort of like part of playing the character was sort of working some of that stuff out, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, because the acting's excellent. Like, I mean, yeah, I mean, he's just we expect the second to be good him. anyway. Like, I mean, that's yeah, we the thing. But we last saw him acting in uh, the the earrings of Madame Du. The uh, the Ophuls movie, right? And you know he was phenomenal in that too. I mean, like I, I yeah, I don't remember how many times we've encountered him, but we've you know I think that might be the only really? the only time we've seen him acting outright. Mm-hmm. That may not be true. I can't. Think. I don't know. I feel like this is maybe it is. I don't know. I feel like the sick is a name that because because of the directing as well. I, right. I I feel like I've heard this name enough that it's it and it resonates as being oh this yeah. is we've seen a good name we've seen hear. a good chunk of his directorial stuff too. Right. So so, but I mean, regardless, he does a very good job in this, and uh, and I think it's very easy to imagine that bringing some of that personal experience into it that certainly doesn't hurt. Rossellini's personal life experience, you know, he he was the kid of upper class people, so it's not surprising that he was friends with Mussolini's son, right? And then, uh, you know seems to have had a political awakening that that grew out of a humanism. But it was a humanism that seems to have led him toward more leftist ideas than right sticking sitting at some sort of weird outsider apolitical humanism. Well, which right, I exists mean exists and we've encountered in other directions. Right. And, right. and and but you know, and we've talked about the fact that like that kind of perspective amounts to a certain sort of its own sort of special centrist like right right, like right, right tacit right. approval of violence and things uh, you know of of, yeah. of of the bad things that are being done and, and you know right so it's good right. to see that he and, does move left throughout his life but right and bertone's bertone's centrism is part of his bad guy right it's the first half of the movie is when Bertoni is right. is a centrist saying saying that the uh the media propaganda is making us hate each other. 
when he's literally talking about Italian, <laughs> the Italian underclass who are being murdered uh, and Nazis is right, what he's right. equating when he says the media is trying to get us to hate each other. Um, and it's, you know, it's it's such... I mean, it's ridiculous. It is centrism to an absurd degree. Right, right. absolutely. And it's meant to read ridiculous. I think it's meant to right. read ridiculous. Right, absolutely. But what my problem is, is, and this is, again, like, I don't really have a direct problem with the movie, but my problem that that does exist is that, like, we do continue to hear a sort of related sentiment to that throughout the right. rest of the movie. Uh, right. Which is that, like, well, you know, if we were on different side, if we were on the same, you know, if we weren't on different sides. But he's know, also a guy a who, right he's also a guy who's actively saying things to stay in the good graces of whoever True. he's right. talking well, to. True, right, well, exactly, right. Well, I right. mean, I and that's, it gets, the movie gets very sort of, not confusing, right. but kind of a, interesting that way because the nazi also continues to to express that sentiment right 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 like actively right. yeah um and like yeah. we are and because the nazi is also simultaneously being humanized i think we're supposed to at least to a certain extent take it as sincere uh right which is well, is a weird experience almost all of the nazi officials we meet are people who really love Italy but think it's unfortunate that they have come to Italy under these circumstances, right? Like even the first guy he meets in the street. Right, right, right. It's like, oh, you know, you were in Naples. I'm from Naples. Well, I mean, that's it's, the same guy, but I mean. Oh, yeah, it is the same guy. I mean, it's the same it's guy. It's just the first time they encounter. Right, that. but I mean, and it is true that the movie also does present us with just like, wrote standard like hey i'm a nazi nazis right as well that are just like the most the most like bog standard i'm i'm an evil nazi here i am i mean the functionary the movie literally and opens the the movie literally opens with a jaunty song of a bunch of black shirts singing about how they're going to kill right the resistance right right Um, i mean Right. It's just that the problem is, is that like even if even if we use this person as a as a sort of like stand in for other, I guess, other Nazis who might not enjoy like might not be happy about what they're doing. Like, I don't actually care what the Nazis are feeling when they are murdering people. (laughs) Right, right, right. Like their feelings about it are actually irrelevant because their actions are far more significant. Right. Uh, it, and 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 that's the problem, right? And like, where I come, where I'm running into trouble is like, what does Rossellini want to say about those people? Yeah. In the end of it's the day, the, what does he want us to feel about the Nazi who feels bad while murdering? Yeah, it's the modern American stereotype of we'll invade your country, and then 20 years later make a movie about how that made us feel sad. Right. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> That'll definitely win an Oscar. Right, right, and then we'll we'll self congratulatory reward yeah, we'll ourselves. We'll all pat each pat ourselves on the back and feel like we solved everything. Yeah. So, like, even you know, his very first sort of becoming the mask moment is during the air raid, right? And he he steps out to calm the men because they're driving him crazy, right? Right. You know, he's calming them in order to calm himself, right? 
Um, and you know the the stuff with uh, De La Rivera's wife is really just you know he he becomes De La Rivera because he respects the bravery of De La Rivera, like I already said, um, right? Not because of any political or ideological change within him. Right. Well, I mean, that is an ideological change, and as such, it is inherently political, but he is not he is not supporting the resistance because he supports right, some yeah. leftist I mean, we, end. We, yeah, and that's, we, we talked know, about that's that already. Another, right. another aspect to this is that, you know, any resistance, and we've talked about this with the French before, any resistance is not just uh, leftist partisans. It is also, uh, you know, people on the right who are nationalists or who just don't think the Nazis are doing doing it the way that it should be done, right? Right. There I are mean, plenty of reasons to fight Nazis. Right, um, and uh, yeah, exactly. And yeah, some absolutely. of them are actually bad. <laughs> right, like, it, it is, um, you, are, you are left with that, yeah, I mean, there's, especially when you're talking about the Nazis invading your, your quote-unquote homeland, right? It's, it's right, very easy right, right. to be, like, it's very easy for there to be, ultra, you know, People who, in other circumstances, would definitely be agreeing with the Nazis, right? Uh, like the entire Italian state, who right, were the absolutely. Nazis' allies until the uh, until the uh, allies actually started showing up in Italy, and then the Nazis became an occupying force, right? Because they were no longer allies. Absolutely. Um, uh, yeah. Right, and and, and yeah, it, absolutely. It, it it goes into a it does go into an interesting topic though about that you know you mentioned like quite a, kind of becoming the mask right this idea of like yeah you know like it, which which gets into the discussion of like is there like you get into this discussion of like is there a functional difference between pretending to be a thing and being that thing which you know extends on to like is every you know you've got this wealthy general you know this aristocratic general who's fighting against the nazis like how much of that is itself an act, right? Like how much of that is, is a show, right? Um, right, right. Which is right, all very right. interesting. I don't think the movie necessarily explores that stuff as much as it could, partially because of the way it chooses to tell the story. We don't spend as much time on who he quote unquote becomes as we maybe could. I mean, we spend about half the movie, but somehow that still felt a little, to me, a little rushed. Like, his 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 transformation, quote unquote, does feel to me a little rushed. Like it feels like it could spend more time exploring his time in the prison. It's it's an okay amount of time, but it's still I think almost exactly half the movie. I think I I think I literally stopped because I had to go do something and it was I was at almost exactly the fifty percent mark. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Just well, because that's know, the like, that's the main crux of the movie, right? Is that that what you might call that transformation, right? Right. It's interesting that the movie is sort of two movies, right? Because it right. is it is a sort of comedic uh, drama of the con man surviving, right? But right. also making other people's lives worse through dangling strings in front of them. Um. And then the second movie is a pretty straightforward World War II uh, war prison movie. 
Uh, Except for the the fact that like we're we're the only thing that makes it different is the fact that in a lot of other circumstances there would be a spy, but we wouldn't have the spy as the main character. Well, I think the main difference uh, with with like the American films of this genre that I'm familiar with would be that we would have started in the prison. And right, right. Yeah, know, I mean, there's certainly a lot. Gotten of to know the people in the prison, then the general's character would have shown up. Right. And the the crux of the first act would be us, uh, us as an audience trying to figure out whether or not we trust this new guy who came right. in. Right, but an in most of those war film, most of those war prison films, he wouldn't be the spy, and one of the other people right, who has right, been right, there the right. whole time would be the spy, and also he would be, he would still be the most famous actor in the movie. Uh, right. So he would still be DeSica, uh in that, you know, in this version. Right. We're basically talking about Von Ryan Express at this point. But yeah, <laughs> though there's, but that's you know there are, but there are a few different ones. This is yeah. this was not a an uh, this is not a single movie genre right. here. Right, right, right. Um, but yeah, I think this movie might have been interesting if it if it told, uh, the Della Rivera story in that way. Where someone yeah. shows up claiming to be Della Vivera, and then in the second act we find out that he's not really Della Vivera, and maybe there's not really a Della Rivera at all, and then right, it, right. It well, yeah, if you took this coming... into this really wild metaphysical territory, where you're like, there yeah. never was one. Yeah, which is the reality of the story it's based off of that there really was none. Um, See, that's why I'm 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 a little confused yeah. because like I I you know I watched the the extra materials and I, at the end I was like okay I don't know was there or was there not in the end and like I kind of gave up I was like well I don't actually care well then the uh, the flip side then the further down you get is that there was the guy in prison claiming to be Della Rivera and there maybe was no Della Rivera outside of the prison. But also, maybe all of the prisoners knew that this guy wasn't really Della Rivera. <laughs> right. Yeah. See, that was the that was the the yeah. the um the the sort of like uh, twist in the in the documentary that I most enjoyed right. was like, oh, right, we right, all right. knew, and it's like they all knew. And it's like, what's happening here? Like, right. and then what? And then uh, Montanelli insists that no, you didn't know. He told me that you didn't know. Uh, <laughs> The so, most reliable like, source available told right. me that you didn't know. Right, 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 right. So, so there's that aspect of it too. Um, I, I mean, yeah, what I'm you know, what just, I'm hearing here is that like we need a re. This might be the first case where we actually need a. We would could use a remake that is just insane. That's just like <laughs> just just a completely uh, like completely like you know you never you know whenever like you get those remakes where like the person's like. All right, I've got the wheel, and we're going this way, and just heads off in completely a different direction than the original film did. Uh, I feel like this one could work for that. We could make yeah. this very weird metaphysical tale, uh, exploring what is or well, is I, not a real person. I think it could be as an interesting movie, even without that aspect. Where, I, where, I just like that idea. Where, like a lot of the other, you know, World War Two prison. You know, military prison movies. You know, this guy shows up. We're we're not sure we can trust him. And then, you know, even if the other the other prisoners don't find out that he's in cahoots with the, but but the audience does. 
but then right. he still comes because if the other prisoners figure it out, they're just going to kill him. That's how that's going right. To work. But I'm so. also fascinated by the the sort of as I discussed this weird metaphysical version of the movie where they all find out and they just decide to like let him go on, keep pretending, right? Because right, in right. some way it is like functionally just something to do. <laughs> like, it's like I mean, we'll just like just ignore it, whatever. And he's just like this guy walking around pretending to be this famous general, right? And right, everybody right, right. like is sort of just humoring. I don't know. I'm I'm amused by that concept. I mean, it's it's maybe kind of interesting in the real life aspect of this that if there isn't some general who died and no one knew he died, some guy showing up in prison just saying, "Hey, I'm the famous resistance general." That none of you have ever heard of. <laughs> that none of you have ever heard of. Of it's course they're going to know he's faking it, right? Very wild. Yeah, no, it's yeah. It's like, yeah, a bunch of us were in the resistance. We've never heard of you. It's yeah. a very, is very funny. But I guess we could really pour on the comedy aspect of it where they know he's fake, but to to declare that he's fake without them as resistance fighters. So, oh, like, yeah, no, that's true. That's true, yeah. And then also, like... <laughs> Yeah, so they all just have to keep it on the down low, and then like, yeah, uh, there's, there's so much. Good. There's a lot. There's a lot of meat on these bones. Is what I'm saying. I mean, there's still not. There's still not a justification for why they don't just kill him outright. So I guess, except for like the possibility that like the Nazis are trying to use him to get information, and you get the whole like, well, if you know he's oh old, yeah, so they can, can just like, feed him bad information. bad information. Yeah, or and and then you can combine that with the fact that like you also just get to watch this guy walk around pretending like he think you know. Think right. he's fooling everybody, right, which is right, right. a fundamentally hilarious thing to think about. Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't work. know if it's hilarious it when you're in prison and are a political uh, like prisoner yeah. and possibly going to be killed in any minute. I don't know how amusing that is, but then again, I feel like there's a, probably a lot of room for gallows humor there. I mean, it could definitely be life. a half. It could be a half season plot on Hogan's Heroes, at least. So absolutely. Um, I mean, it probably uh, was. Let's be clear. I haven't watched Hogan's Heroes in a long time. It probably was. was. We probably have just yeah, described the plot of, an, of a season of Hogan's Heroes. Yeah. Yeah, that's fair. Well, Hogan's Heroes was really episodic so that they could syndicate it. So right, there probably true. weren't half-season-long uh, plot lines on right, Hogan's Heroes. I don't know. But, but you never know because, like, I, I've encountered this with, like, whenever I watch old TV. Like, uh, that is 100% true. But then they'll be, like, for, like, the diehards, they'll have, like, the reoccur the things that do carry over that they that reoccur that like do seem yeah. to progress like a a mild meta story. I don't know about Hogan's Heroes because I haven't watched it in gonna say twenty something years. Right, 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 right. right. Uh, but like e- even in old TV where there will be like a meta narrative that if you're like watching most of the episodes you're gonna pick up on. Um, so you never know. Yeah. Uh anyway. Um, yeah, there's, there's a lot of, you said it earlier, there's a lot of interesting stuff happening here, and there are a lot of issues with the <laughs> yeah, politics of the movie. really are. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know, it's maybe kind of hard to get out of it. There are a couple deleted scenes. Uh, during the firing squad sequence at the very end, the wall behind them is painted with, like, an aerial shot of the city. Um... Okay. There was a scene that was cut that was meant that was the soldiers painting that scene. Um, okay. Other than that, it doesn't seem like there was a lot of stuff cut, and also it was shot really fast, and there was no coverage, uh, which is you know 
Right. One one interesting aspect of uh of Rossellini's, you know, uh extended take is that he did it so that they wouldn't have to edit. <laughs> so that right. They could just yeah. Get it was like there. no, we're I mean, yeah, it's even like deeper than editing in camera. It's like no, we're just we're going to which like, you know, it, I don't you know, this is not a thing that has never been done before or anything like that. It, right. it is it is definitely the fastest and dirtiest way to make a movie. Uh, right, and it works fine but, here, mostly because it's static sets, right? Like, I mean, the set is yeah, it's it's right. it's a, it's on a studio lot, and it's pre-set, so you're just like, well, as long as everybody knows their positions and knows their lines, we're good to go. But uh, it also, it also works when you have a director and a cinematographer who know what they're doing with right. those sorts of shots, right? True. Uh, and this is the guy who. You know, he he's shot with Rossellini before. He shot he shot La Strada for Fellini. It's Carlo Carlini is his name. Um, so you know he's he's a guy who who knew what he was doing. <laughs> and, right, right. And had worked with other new realists um, and Rossellini himself in other films. So they knew what they were doing. They were able to do it, and it worked out. So right. you know, they talk. I don't really believe it. Uh, but they talk about a lot of this stuff just taking first take and moving on, <laughs> too. Uh, yeah, I mean, I you know, it's you know, first take means something, but like it's also like, well, yeah, but how many times did you run? You know, you obviously ran through it, right, a right, bunch right, of right, times. right, 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 right. It wasn't. It wasn't just. Yeah, Jessica right. wasn't walking onto, onto set and quick. Tell me what my lines are. Yeah. Right. Uh, but yeah, um, you know. And also, you know, dealing with DeSica, who's bad. He's a famous actor. He's a famous director. He's also of of the same, uh, you know, school in directing as Rossellini. So you know, there it works together. Be, it works because everybody is trying to do the same thing, right? And somehow, it does not become a detriment that they are all trying to do the same thing as quickly as possible. <laughs> right, which could have really. I mean, it definitely could have. I mean, for right. sure. It, it just it seems like, you know, you get your. It, in many ways, because of the way that the the film is set up, it, it is. It is kind of amazing that the movie is as good as it. I mean, like obviously not just from speed, but like it's kind of amazing it's as good as it is because it is all just like one studio set after after another. You, you know what I mean? Like for the most part, it that always has the potential to just make a really like, yeah, mediocre movie. But this one is that's actually played for good effect, right? The the documentaries talk about it. Like, oh, everything in this movie is meant to look very false, like right, very oh fake. yeah, absolutely. Uh, which is an interesting right? Like it, it's interesting, right? Because that does work because it 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 amplifies but what it, you're what you're watching. Right, and it's a movie that is talking about masks and artificiality, right? right? Uh, Which is really, it is fascinating. When Rossellini was doing neorealism, neorealism had a point, right? An ideological point about showing the real-life people in their real-life positions. And now that he's making this movie about masks and about... uh, changing political allegiances uh 
he is doing it in such an artificial facade right. of a way that it really, yeah, it's it's absolutely well, the point. Right, it's the uh, point, and also you you get to amplify that idea that like one way or the other, like this guy who, whether he, you know whatever his right. real the real life may have been, is just an ordinary Joe, like a regular person. So like it kind of double emphasizes the idea that like well everybody wears a mask like it, yeah, everybody even, is in a Billy Joel song like let's be clear right. here, but uh, even the disjointed structure the two the two stories coming together about one single person is the Italian War experience too right you know they were fascist right. and then they just weren't almost overnight right <laughs> right I mean and to to the point where they were probably just fascist fighting nazis i mean like right you know right 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 we're fascists but now we're fighting we're anti-nazi fascists now we're anti-nazi fascists um you know and that's certainly something that uh the works of pasolini get into about how even after mussolini was gone it did not mean that the people in power were not fascists right uh and and this movie sort of goes out of its way to make the Italian fascists look much more intent on violence against Italians than even the Nazi officials we talk to. Right. Right. Which is interesting because it also seems to be a supported thing. Cause like they talk about other like prisoners talking about, like, you know what I mean? Right. That's a, a right. thing that, right. that's mentioned in the documentary is like, Oh yeah. When we were in prison, it was ma- It's, it, you know, when they were in prison, it was mainly the, the other Italians that were really intent on doing a lot of violence. Right, uh, which right, is a right. fascinating thing to think about, but like, I mean, again, yeah. we all know what the Nazis did, so let's be very clear here. Yeah, it's also interesting that that throughout this movie, one of the main threats of death to our characters is not from the Nazis, but from the American bombing raids. Oh yeah, well that checks right? out. I mean, that's which of that's course checks very out. true to <laughs> true to real yeah. life. Yeah, I mean, it's it's another thing that. Makes this true to the Italian war experience, right? Right. And, that's and then just you combine so much... that with, with the fact that, like, you get actually within the prison quite a lot of mixed feelings about the Americans, quote-unquote, right, right, coming, right? right? right, right. It's like right. they're both excited. And it's like, oh, finally, they're you know, when are they going to get here? Combined with all oh, these fucking Americans, and they're <laughs> blowing shit up again. Right, right. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um. Which is, I feel like, you know, a pretty reasonable response to yeah. America. The essay, the essay with this, which is by uh, James Monaco, is the name of the, the film scholar who wrote it. Uh, he presents an interesting take on the progeny of this film, uh, where, uh, where Rossellini's whole thing with, uh, with Bergman was such a public disgrace in Italy that this movie is almost penance. Uh, where it's sort of him coming back to to make this thing he'd already made uh, that you've been he he says quote uh, you've been fooling around too long and we know what you can do and admire you for doing it so get back to work basically I mean I could see that but also like yeah maybe I mean I I could see the I could see the argument of like we're gonna you know you're you're Italy wants you to like as a whole wants you to make another uh right 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 um 
uh, was it Open City, right? Was that what yeah. his name? Rome yeah. Open City is the name of the movie, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, like, I feel like, pro- you know, that, like, him giving, kind of in theory giving into that pressure, it, it seems like awfully, like, I don't know, like, the description there makes it sound so calculated that I'm betting it wasn't quite that level of calculation. Yeah, I mean, of course, Monaco's writing, uh, you know, He's writing a film essay, right? right. He's got to right. say things like that. Well, right, yeah. I mean, he has yeah. to. He has to have a, uh, you know, he has a to essentially have a thesis right. to, the, to the essay, and I yeah. get that. It's just that, like, that's just a, a funny way to think about uh, about that. Yeah. Uh, another aspect of the bonus material that I really, really, really loved was Isabella Rossellini talking about how the golden line was just a toy they played with at home, right? <laughs> That that Rossellini, Rossellini just didn't care about awards so much that if it was animal shaped, he gave it to his kids. Uh, contrast with her, her mother, who she describes as putting all of her awards on display. She calls it a film about redemption. I suppose it, it, it certainly is a film about redemption, right? Yeah, a hundred percent. The issue is is that whether or not you as a person view what it happened as redemptive, right? Like what? Like how you as a person process what he did at the end of the movie and whether that is redemption or not right like i tend to err on the side of no it's not like i think it's it is redemptive but it is not it is not the redemption i desire for him right right i mean like i don't know i I yeah i mean maybe it's just i i have a like obviously anything can internally be to anyone redemptive right like Inside of that character, yeah, he feels like he has done redeeming himself. He has done a good thing at the end of that film, and he has done a good thing that really is not a bad thing in any way, but it is still not the best thing. Right, but like I mean, yes, but and there are there are there is myriad between best and better and what he did. Right, right? like what (laughs) what is the I mean, like what are you defining as the good thing he has done? He has he has kept the resistance from being uncovered, right? Okay, yeah. I I mean that that I can definitely agree with. I you know because the problem if, is is that there's more movie after that. If they had, if he had turned on the resistance leader who is in in there, that guy would have just he wouldn't have been murdered. He just would have been tortured to get information out of him. Right, right which. You know, I mean, yes, you know, until he was murdered, but still, right? I mean, it, it can it can get more complicated than that, right? Like, what you know, he definitely saved that person from being tortured. That that's, but then he's got yeah. murdered. So, like, I mean, who knows how much information the resistance leader has about the resistance as a whole, right? Because you get into like the way resistances work and stuff like that, right? Yeah. Well, he's positioned as being like overarchingly in charge, like being of a, a lot poorly stuff, planned resistance so. where everybody, where apparently right. the leader knows everybody, which is well, so there's your first mistake, right? But like, well, also the uh, resistance, the resistance leader get hit, gets his speech the night, the night that they're all being held together on. We're all just doing what we have to do because it's right. And it's the proper thing, right? Um, but even that, you know, a lot of the resistance stuff is even not fighting Nazis because they're Nazis, but fighting Nazis because they're occupying our country. Right, which is, right? again, I mean, while maybe very accurate, is also yeah. a shitty message to send. But, like, 
Um, right, but it's it is not markedly different from the U.S.'s position on fighting Nazis. <laughs> no, fighting Nazis I mean, because but, they want but, to be they want to be in charge of the world. And hey, that's our job. <laughs> right, totally. I mean, uh, yes, agreed. Like I'm, I will, you will not find me running cover for the United States. Right, 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 right. Uh, right. Like, but like my my point Even is recording is that, this on July Fourth, Pat. You're not going to run cover for the United States. Uh, this Tisk. is true. Um, uh, that is true. It is July Fourth. I guess I I should have put on my Star Spangled hat and uh, done this all <laughs> to the sound of fireworks. In, going uh, on it's the still July third, as far as I'm recording. So we'll be all right. right. Uh, yeah, I mean technically, it's July Fourth here, but it's one o'clock right. in the morning. Um, but like you know, my my point being like like I don't have a point, but my my point being that yes, he saved the resistance, which is demonstrably a good thing but like that person still dies and i my problem is is that like what the movie wants to tell you is redemptive is a little bit muddled because the movie can tell you that that's the redemptive part which is you know in the field of good but then he also marches off to die with them which is i think in the movies in the context of film is also itself supposed to be a redemptive act, like being seen as it's a sort of a, like I'm gonna die, I'm gonna die with them, but for me personally, it reads as a very hollow, meaningless gesture, uh, you know. So it, 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 the movie does a goes in a, like a pretty weirdly sort of zigzaggy pattern there at the end. Well, I guess it's in not doing the bad thing. It right. is not meaningless. No, I, I, I understand. Like, but not not doing a bad thing is not the same thing as necessarily doing a right. Good thing. Right. Not, I'm not. I'm I mean, not trying. He's to... in the position at this point. He can't do a good thing. He can choose to not do the bad thing. I mean, he's out of good thing options at this point, basically, because like, I mean, he already walked so far down this path that like, he can't spring the guy out of jail or something like that. So it's it's fine to accept that like it is. But he did the best thing he could come up with to do at the time, and that's a good thing. I'm not saying that that's not a good thing. It's just that, like, he – what I'm saying is that the movie seems to want to pair that up with him also choosing to die with them and create that as a sort of, like, shot and chaser sort of combo of redemption. Yeah. And, like, that part is, is meaningless. <laughs> like – Right, but the no. movie wants it because the movie wants to still. Ha- I think wants to have its, it wants to have that noble death, thing in it, that is like so common in movies of, about these kinds of topics. Right, like he right. goes off and has a noble death. But of course, now too- I don't know what Rousselli's perspective on that sort of thing is, but like, I I personally read it as is meaningless. Right. And maybe we're supposed we, to. Maybe Bruce Lee wants you to feel that. Maybe Bruce Lee wants to be, and then he went off and did something that was meaningless. Right. Maybe, maybe that is what Rosalind is trying to say. In that all all of these deaths are meaningless, right? Right. Um, because the whole war is meaningless, uh, as far as Rosalind is concerned. And you know, maybe that is uh, a proper read. And and you know, as much as we may agree with Rosalind and Desica's politics, this is still a movie where we can't agree with the with the thrust of the main character's motivation in the third act, which is right. 
again, as we've already said, it's not about overthrowing Nazis or even undermining Nazis more than it is about this idea of manhood and nationalism. And we don't like either of those things as (laughs) motivation. We don't like either of those things as motivation, right? Right. You and I. And right, and that's and that and (laughs) that's why I would say it's a pair, right? Because like his motivation for marching off is those same things. Right. Right. Like it's this nationalist pride that like like motivates him to go up there and get shot with them. And it's also the same thing that motivates him to not, you know, reveal about the about the resistance leader. It's it's all right. Like, you know, and so of you course get into that this is thing. Ch- right, that ahead. is a change in the character because he would have gladly sold that information. Right. Absolutely. In the first act. Right. right. And so we get back to kind of where we were at the very beginning of this episode, which is he's doing a thing that we can agree is good. Right. Or at least certainly not bad. Yeah. Uh, and that's but for That's all I mean to say wrong when reasons. I say his final his final right. act is right. redemptive. It is not it is not the best thing he could be doing, but it is it is a thing he can be doing that has the least negative impact and possibly no negative impact. <clears throat> or it, well, not no negative. It still leads to a lot of people dying, but it doesn't well, I mean, lead to yeah, I mean, thousands he's already, of people dying. He's already done that. Like I mean, right, that, right, that's right, the other right, issue right. that we're going to run into with this is like those events have already happened. Like he right. already and he wasn't like, he wasn't responsible for those events either, right? You know. Well, yes, yes and no, right? Like I mean, in a weird sort of it's it gets in some ways he is a little bit in the sense that like the way he handles it, like I mean, it all depends on how far you want to walk back down the line, right? Because like he his his shenanigans lead him to be put in there which leads to the way that the commandant interacts with those prisoners which includes but is not limited to sort of like the like they are convinced that they're just going to be released pretty soon when they get in right there. right right well some and they're probably convinced are. for a pretty good reason which is barring there being that guy in there they're just like normal dudes right uh like and yeah, maybe he could like the Nazis could torture all of them, but also would they get information about the resistance out of that? Who knows, right? Like, because like as we know, like re- torture isn't the most reliable method of getting information right. out of people. Like, so like you do get into this thing where like if you will like, and of course I'm, I I understand that you can do this yeah. with basically anything on Earth. That if you walk something far enough down the line, you'll get the answer you want. If you try yeah. hard enough, like where but, he's responsible, but it isn't that far down the line that he's the reason why all these resistance guys get killed in the end. Yeah, but it's also interesting that you know, narratively within the actual text of the film, there are people in that room who are not resistance fighters, who yeah. are just normal people who have been caught up. They're in the political wing of the prison because the Nazis are paranoid, right? Right. Absolutely. Well, and I mean, yeah, with throughout the film, right? Because we get and that's a lot of so much of uh, right. Yeah, from the very beginning of like my my husband isn't political. What are you talking about? And it's like right. And we know that like the not the Nazis' default answer is when in doubt, well, just you know, shoot first, ask questions later, basically. Um, when especially when it comes to 
people they think as being political enemies. Um, and presumably the Italian fascists are exactly the same way. All that being said, I still enjoyed this movie. <laughs> yeah, I did too. But, I, I mean, I just it, it, the movie is designed to elicit a sort of political discussion. Uh, and yeah. it it got it right. Like it gets what it's right. it's asking for. It's just a matter of and, whether or not you agree with the politics or not. And of course, uh, even even on a baseline political discussion, part of the point of this movie is to get people to start talking about Absolutely. what Italy did during the war. Right? And it and it and it's, it's a, historical and it's context. Good at that. Like I mean, and it, it does, one way or the other, yes. it does that. Does that swimmingly? So like. You know, there's that. So I'm yeah. sure there were a lot of goals. we watched this movie and then we went back to some friend's house and like had a big argument. Right, right, right. Like I'm sure that oh, happened at least a little. Pat, bit. you have you have a very, very gracious view of the the very the stereotypical Italian response would just be that they're fighting in the theater, that this facilitates well, a I civil mean, war in every theater. As right. They watch okay. This but, movie. Okay. Sure. I mean, but that's like basically the same thing I describe. <laughs> I mean, whether you make it back to your friend's parlor or you start in the theater. Right. Right. You know. Yeah. I I like the anyway. uh, there's a there's a view of this film where like where every single theater that showed this film had to like shut the showing down like three fourths of the way or something. It's like, oh damn, it happened well, again. They, they did talk about getting death threats, didn't they? Yes, they did. Or I mean, I, yeah. but then again, it, yeah, they did. And they talked about a bunch of the films that were in this sort of this emerging like mini genre as causing death threats. Right, right, right. Because right. like it may all not the be ones that tried to reevaluate right. Italy's participation in the war will obviously go against a lot of people's national pride, right? And going against Patton Evil's national pride is a good way to get yourself at least death threaded, but probably also killed. Right, right. So, yeah. Ultimately, we are both disappointed in this movie for not wanting to, not wanting its main character to become uh, anti-fascist, right, but right. just I wanting mean, it to become we're often disappointed pro-Italian. Right. And that's, that's right. Boy, I would have liked it if this movie had decided to go a little bit more hardcore and made the person a legit anti-fascist. But, you know, we don't get that very often. We yeah, just don't but watch enough American war movies to, like, really dig into that whole thing in, in there. So It's maybe interesting in this instance that we are not being anachronistic in that complaint. No. That there were... There were uh, there were Italian critics at the time, Franco Fortini in particular, uh, who uh, pretty sure was a, a leftist <laughs> leftist critic, if I remember correctly. But he complained when this movie came out that that, and he compared it to Rome Open City, particularly because in Rome Open City, uh, there's an ideological conversion of a priest who comes to support the resistance not out of Italian nationalism, but out of devotion to leftist politics. Right. Uh, so it's... Uh, and this way, then this one, this one is essentially a, like, punching soft compared to what that right, one did. Right, right, right. What, what 
Fortini writes, and this is this is in translation, in automatic translation, so I can't I can't really speak to its exact legitimacy. But what he writes is the false Della Rovera sees no truth in the resistance, but only their courage. This is the difference from the priest of Rome Open City. The film's moral and aesthetic misunderstanding lies in having transformed the resistance spirit into the into a kind of eternal conversation. I'm sorry, eternal conversion to good and self-sacrifice, right? It, and that's you know what we've talked about—that manliness, that 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 greater good that is not—it's still nationalism, right? Right. It's I not, mean, yeah, it's it's the process by which you can you can you can turn anti-fascist movements back into fascist movements, right? Like, right, right, right. Like right. where where you can turn a revolution, even if it was successful pro-fascist by by focusing on the things that are like about it that let you continue to be fascist right oh well they right. you know they're supporting and italy. and italy is something that has to be supported we all love italy right guys and ultimately as good as this movie is and as good as and what good may have been done by this movie in italy talking about its past fortini's complaint is what uh, embodies an Italian response to this movie and to the war that leads directly to Salo, right? And Pasolini's view of Italy at the time of Salo. Right. It is is that, no, you guys don't, you didn't, we didn't learn any fucking lessons, guys. (laughs) Right, right. And it's interesting that even Pasolini calls this a really, a really important movie. Um, well, but like, think of it this way: like, Pasolini's movie can't happen if this movie doesn't happen first. Right, right. Like, I guess that's you, fair. you, you have like, w- which is is a shitty thing to think about. But like, somebody has to break that ground that even lets well, those political movies get made. We've talked, we've talked about Pasolini's uh, career, and it always being one more ratchet clank up, right, of the previous movie. And like, this is this is. Pasolini year zero, right? This is this right, is right. That's exactly this yeah, is that's a movie about removing it, yeah. the mask. And Pasolini, if Pasolini made a movie about removing the mask, the next movie would be about removing the mask and making sure you know that the mask was bad. Right, right. right. Well, and if you think about when Pasolini starts making movies, right, it's like you can imagine a world where he goes and watches this and say, "Well, that guy, that was good, but like, come on." That was good, but you got to make sure people understand it. Like people clearly, clearly, I argued with a lot of people in that fucking theater, and they did not get it. (laughs) Right. Uh, Pasolini's uh, first screenplay looks like it was produced this year, the same year, 1959. Right. Um, I, I mean, yeah, let's see here. I was trying to see, like screenplays i can't even find a list of screenplays i can find the feature films and that's what i was looking at because first feature film is 1961 right right and mama roma is the first one we've seen which is 62 and uh yeah um and then it escalates from there right 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 right. oh man oh man in 1967 so like halfway through his career uh Pasolini apparently directed a uh, a version of 
Yes. Oedipus. Yes, I really and... want to know what that is. <laughs> I'm, both I'm not scared. sure I want to watch it. I know. Well, like that's the thing, <laughs> like... right? Like, is what we what we've learned about Pasolini, as you and I have learned, is that he can exist as this weird sort of uh, like ideological, like I don't know, fairy or something. That like it's like oh, I don't yeah. want to actually like experience <laughs> what you did. <laughs> because it's almost exclusively probably going to be a nightmare. We but have, it's very important. We have already experienced Pasolini at his peak. So right, uh, so it can only go back from there. I don't know, right. but I feel like we have a theory right now. You and I have a theory, and it and it, it is supported by um by documentarians who have talked about it, and and it seems to be that is that is an accurate reading. That yeah. being said, I feel like his version of Oedipus Rex could still be deeply <laughs> could upsetting. Be, oh, could be, could be too much. It's true. Uh, anyway, uh, yeah. Since we're talking about Pasolini, it's probably time to pull yeah. pull our episode on Rossellini's <laughs> Il Genero della Rovera uh, to a close. Um, yeah, uh, it's interesting. Um, it is an interesting, uh, piece in the center of Rossellini's career. Um, we have not, we have not so far been evenly distributed along Rossellini's career and we will not be because I'm pretty sure all the rest of the Rossellini we have to watch is movies prior to this. Okay. Uh, but, uh, but it is interesting to, to have gotten this so close to, well, well, the taking of power is still fresh in our mind, or right. fresh-ish right. in our mind. Yeah. Uh, it's interesting to see where he went after this uh, and get to talk about this and, and sort of the pathway like that he's on. Anyway, uh, interesting that we end talking about Pasolini because I think politically our next film might be pretty in line with, with Pasolini stuff. Uh Maybe not, but next week we'll be talking about Danton, a 1983 film uh, about uh, the last weeks of Georges Danton's life. Georges Danton, uh, who is played by Gerard Depardieu in this film, uh, he was, uh, in case you don't know, he was Robespierre's main uh, sort of ideological uh, rival in... uh, in the French Revolution. I mean, I didn't and, know until you told me, but yeah, yeah. you told me before. And we what is <laughs> what is super interesting about this movie is that it's directed by Andre Waja. And Which I am is so like, excited yeah, to get back. Which got me very excited yeah. about this. Yeah. Right. So excited to see another Waja film. Uh, a Generation, Canal, and particularly Ashes and Diamonds were yeah revelatory <laughs> yeah right? and, and i'm just... i'm very excited because like those i if memory serves and i i haven't dug that far into waja and i don't remember very well from our recording but those are early stuff right so right right i'm pretty sure those were his first movies later so, right so yeah getting into something in 83 it might be might be interesting yeah. uh but yeah so look forward very much to that but this week it has been the 1959 il general della rovera by Roberto Rossellini. Thank you so much for listening to Lost in Criterion. I am, as always, the Adam Glass. With me, as always, John Patrick, Otari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time.
This has been Lost in Criterion. I'm your co-host, Adam Glass. You can find me on Twitter at TheAdamGlass. My partner is John Patrick Oitari Dorgan, and you can find him at JPatrickDorgan. Check out more of the show at LostInCriterion.com, or hey, give us a review on iTunes. It's nice. If you really like what you hear, consider supporting us at Patreon.com slash LostInCriterion. Hey, our theme music is by Jonathan Hape. Check him out at JonathanHape.com. And thanks for listening. We appreciate it.